This is Marketing Jam, a show featuring the brightest minds in marketing. Brought to you by Canada Post. Head to canadapost.ca forward slash insight podcast for ideas to add value to your marketing. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Jam. Thank you for joining us this week. I am so excited uh, to bring on a brilliant uh, thought leader, someone who uh, we're going to dig into some ideas and thinking about um, all things marketing and what he's hearing, what he's seeing. And so this is a special edition. We are actually welcomed into Jed's home. So thank you for joining us here. So, Jed, why don't you tell us how you got started and how you got into the work you do? Sure. Um, I mean, essentially, I've I've spent time in pure play marketing, media, and tech. So, um, uh, studied philosophy in undergrad, worked for a little while, went back to business school, and I decided that I wanted to go into marketing, and all roads pointed to uh, packaged goods as a good starting place. So, I got very, very lucky. And I spent four years working at Procter and Gamble, and I think it was essentially a second MBA. Um, I was just I was grateful. I met some wonderful people, folks that are still friends today. Sort of learned the discipline of marketing, got trained on, you know, really how to develop good core marketing strategies. Learned all about brands, brand hierarchies, brand equity. Um, after that, again, I got lucky, spent some time in the internet space. So back when AOL was still around, they were a dial-up internet access company. Wow. Yeah, long, long time ago. I'm old, I'm boring, I'm a dinosaur. So we're going to cover a lot of decades here. Um, and then got to cut my teeth on internet subscription products, internet software, browsers, instant messaging, email, all that kind of stuff, which was great. Netscape with the little like uh, lighthouse? Yeah. Um, I worked on Netscape and we'll come full circle when we talk about Microsoft in a little while. Um, but yes, worked on Netscape and all those products. Um, and then, you know, as I was thinking about my marketing career, had worked client side, again, client side, but in a different sort of uh, industry. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to work agency side to learn sort of what it was like to service difficult clients like myself? And so, Spent a number of years working at a couple of agencies doing loyalty and permission marketing. So they weren't creative agencies, they weren't media agencies per se, but they had a niche in loyalty and um, permission-based marketing. So think email, all that kind of stuff, which was great because we'll kind of come around to that subject later in today's conversation. Had always wanted to work in entertainment. Again, got really lucky and was part of the launch of MTV, the television station that is owned by... CTV television, what is now called Bell Media. And that was just an amazing ride. We put TV shows online for the first time. We put TV shows on iTunes, video on demand. And, and then we did a whole bunch of other stuff within the company. Like we streamed, you know, live hockey for the first time with the World Juniors, if you follow sports. And we did all these other really amazing things, including selling some of the first um, pre-roll video ads, which was really exciting. Um, basically, we broke television. Um, and then after that, um, was very fortunate and was part of um, the group that relaunched the search engine business at Microsoft called Bing. And so uh, back to some of the AOL roots and I worked on and really I was I was so fascinated by search um, within the marketing ecosystem, like within the consumer journey. When I was at AOL, we had partnered with Google in the early days. So this was a chance to learn about search from the inside out. 
So did that and then concluded in 2011 that I was unemployable. And so I started my own company called Tapped Mobile and ran that for seven years. And essentially we were all things mobile. We were a go-to for people because we were smart, strategic, worked hard, really sort of honest. We published the largest mobile study in Canada for about three years in a row. So that sort of gave us data so as to help clients understand how Canadians were using mobile phones. And then we got acquired in 2018 by a company called EQ Works based here in Toronto. And EQ Works were all about um, helping brands use location to essentially map the consumer journey. Mm -hmm. So if you think about understanding um, where a consumer goes in the physical world, using that to both inform and create strategy and then ultimately deliver beautiful, creative, creative that sort of connects with consumers and drives a a business result, like a store visit, um, an app download, or some business building metric. It's really the power of our data um, and the software that we've built in order to do some of the best consumer journey mapping um, end-to-end for brands in Canada. So that's um, our current company. So EQWorks, so I have an iPhone and I'm with Rogers. Yeah. Would you know what I like essentially did yesterday? And are you getting the data from Rogers? Are you getting it from like a third party or how does that work? Yeah. So it's a great question. I mean, I think the first and most important thing is all the data that we use is um, PII compliant. So privacy compliant. We are compliant with all of the uh, global privacy laws, both here in Canada and elsewhere. Um, It's primarily from uh, what is called SDK or Software Development Kit data. So it's anonymized data that is aggregated at a national level um, through a myriad of different partners. Some of them are data partners, some of them are publishing partners. And through that, um, we've been able to develop a tool that is really impressive and our CTO gets all the credit, but it's essentially um, a tool that has all these uh, data layers that would allow you or one of your clients to build basically a custom audience segment and then go out and message them or understand sort of their, their movement patterns again at an aggregate level um, uh, in order to kind of do, you know, regional and even national marketing more effectively. Wow. And so from a user and, and someone maybe who's watching the show with their iPhone on the phone, when it says, you know, let the app use my location, even when yeah. I'm not on the app, that would be part of where you're getting some info. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all, again, it's all permission-based privacy client. I mean, w- what I've always believed as a marketer is that there needs to be a mutual exchange of value of between the brand and the individual. Yeah. I mean, at, at the most rudimentary level, most apps are free because you get to enjoy them. So oh, yeah. Most ads monetize their audience through advertising. Um, You know, I personally believe that if a brand uh, wants to target me knowing that I go to a particular sports store every week, I'm okay with that. Um, This is not a discussion around privacy. This isn't about, you know, people knowing my name or having the ability to do push marketing. This this is all, you know, um, permission oriented. But the notion that, if I go on to a content site or if I go on to an app yeah. and I'm served an ad because that enables the ad, the yeah. app to be made available to me. Yeah. And by having more precise data, I get more precise ads. I think I'm okay with that. I think most brands are. And again, this is all anonymized. We don't know Jed versus Darren and we don't have your phone number. We yeah. don't collect any of that stuff. So I think what's really interesting about your question in this discussion is I think for those outside the industry that that headlines are often quite inflammatory and scary. Yeah. So they're thinking, 
you know, George Orwell's Big Brother in 1984. Yeah. They're thinking Black Mirror if they've watched something yeah. like that. That's yeah. not at all what we're talking about. Or and Minority so, Report with Tom Cruise. Scanning there you me. go. We yeah. can riff on movies all day long. Enemy of the State with Will Smith, like yeah. whatever you want to talk about. But um, yes, I think I think your your question is well put, and I think your interpretation is accurate. Yeah, there was a post that went viral on Facebook recently where it exposed on the back end of Facebook where if you use Facebook to log into apps, it had all your information. And there was yeah. this back and forth about like, well, you gave them permission and it was easier to log into that app because of Facebook. And yeah. So argument now of like, should we allow Facebook to have this info? But it was these people saying, well, that's my private information. But it was so convenient. And that's yeah. I'm finding convenience. You trade convenience for a bit of information. And I think that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I think just to build on your point, which again is a good one, is, you know, I believe that we're in an era of um, uh, where brand trust matters more than it ever has before. And so I think you're right. I mean, you are the commodity in, in the case of a lot of these platforms. So if you generate content on any social platform yeah. or even a traditional publishing platform through registration or commenting and the like, you, you, your time, your eyeballs and the information that you provide actively or passively yeah. is how they generate their revenue. Um, I do think that there's always an opportunity for brands to build more trust with consumers. I think most of us, I would say, are generally frustrated with lengthy terms and conditions. There was a, a fun image once posted of all of the large social networks and how long their privacy policies, and some of them were 35 pages long. Yeah. Um, most of us didn't go to law school. Most of us just want to get on and share photos or share videos. So you're right. I mean, the truth always lies somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. There is probably a good, a better opportunity for consumers to understand how their data is being used. At the same time, I think consumers need to understand the basic facts is that if something is made for free, yeah. that there's probably a quid pro quo yeah. and it probably behooves all of us to ask oneself a few questions before we do anything, whether it be online and or offline, right? Yeah. As, as everyone says, you know, um, if, it's, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And so um, I think there are some things that, uh, brands can do to make lives easier and build more trust. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think consumers should be surprised, even if they don't spend their day in marketing or in digital like you do or like I do. I saw a funny a graphic novel at the local bookstore. It was the Apple's terms and conditions put into a graphic novel. Right, right. It, was, it was beautiful. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the underlying um, issue with all of this is um, there is a fight for control over eyeballs and there is a fight for uh, direct relationships with consumers mm -hmm. because that is ultimately in a very fragmented world how brands will win. So collecting an email address is now more important than it's ever been. Yeah. So if you're a brand and you do something on social media, all that activity is rented. So back to your point, if Facebook does collect the data, it's in their terms and conditions. Consumers shouldn't be surprised and brands shouldn't be surprised. Yeah. The, the message to brands is you need to really understand your customer or your consumer. So yeah. be it B2B or B2C and folks use those two terms interchangeably mm -hmm. and you need to own a direct relationship. So whether that's 
a traditional mailing list where you can send mm -hmm. something to their home, whether it's a physical address so you can visit them, whether it is email so you can communicate with them or a phone number or someone's Skype address like we're doing today, that is ultimately the path of least resistance mm -hmm. and how one builds a strong brand because you can have a direct conversation with the individual who's buying your product or service. Jed, I like what you said there. You said you're renting space when you talk about Facebook and social media channels. Can you mm -hmm. talk more about that? What does that mean for, for brands and agents? Well, they own the product, so they're free to change the product at will. Mm -hmm. So if they want to stop accepting you know, posts beyond a certain character count or if they want to discontinue Android or they don't want to support an old operating system, that's their right. Yeah. Um, so you, anytime you run a business on someone else's platform, you are reliant on those platforms being consistent with your own business strategy. The second point is all the data that's generated on these platforms belongs to the platform and not to the individual running the program. Yeah. So again, if we were to contrast that, my company has historically run its own events. Mm -hmm. We rent a space, we figure out something valuable to talk about, we invite people. I own the experience end to end. I can stand up on stage, I can invite guests, I can take questions from the crowd. And so that's, that's an experience that we own end to end. Um, so, you know, I mean, so that is, that is really the second point is that if brands want to make the most out of their marketing dollars, if they want to drive the best business results in the most efficient manner, yeah. the best way to do it is by having a one-to-one -one relationship with the customer. Yeah. And the best way to do that is to own the channel of communication. Wow. That's, that's really great insight. I, I heard an interview with a founder of Sevenly, this shirt company, where he said when the Facebook algorithm changed, his whole business went sideways because they didn't have an alternative method for marketing. They were just playing off the original, you know, Facebook algorithm and which benefited them at the time. But then when it switched their business, you know, they took like almost a hundred percent, you know, almost a 50% dive down into sales. Right. So whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, you know, mm -hmm. the optimist would say, great, they had a good run. You know, uh -huh. the, the beauty of these platforms is they aggregate audiences for you. They make targeting available. But what it likely means is that you're paying for that access either now and or later. The pessimist would say, wow, their whole business went down. That isn't that really bad. But I mean, I, again, I think unless one has a crystal ball or unless one has a direct relationship with some of these large platform companies, which some companies do yeah. because they've got material partnerships. Shopify just announced a partnership yeah. with Facebook last week. So presumably to very large companies, what is now Canada's most valuable company by market cap, presumably they would have very strategic conversations about any platform changes that would affect one another because the value of that partnership is great. But for an individual brand or a small company, yeah. what you just um, cited as an example is a likely eventuality for many. Wow. So email marketing and and growing an email list you know any tips or kind of trends that you're seeing happening with that or are people catching on to that well i, I mean i could sort of turn the question around if, yeah. if you were to email someone yeah and they were to email you back yeah why would they email you back probably because you said something of value yeah. maybe you said something that was intriguing yeah if you think of 
any email that you subscribe to. Yeah. It could be it could be, you know, a service that you pay for and they update you on their programming. So it could be Netflix or Spotify. Yeah. It could be your local newspaper or a tech publication. Why do you subscribe? There's there's a mutual exchange of value. Mm. You're giving your email mm. so that you expect something in return. And I'm not suggesting that any of this stuff is easy. Yeah. You know, it would be the equivalent of saying like, well, what makes a good podcast? Like, why are you doing this? Like, you you know, it's a little bit art and science. You hack it. You know, you say, oh, wow, I, I did this one interview and that went really well. So why don't I try that? I used video instead of just audio and I seem to get better engagement. I mean, really, you know, if if someone is going to give you their email address or their time. Yeah they presumably are getting something out of it. So whatever business you're in, mm -hmm. you have to figure out, um, you know, what, what value looks like. Yeah. When we ran our business, we did email marketing, yeah. but we only, we only emailed people when we deemed that we had something of value to share. Yeah. So we didn't commit to sending an email every week. We didn't commit to sending an email every month when we had a product update, when we thought there was an opportunity to help people. Yeah. And so when we sent out emails, we would get email open rates between 20 and 30%, which is very, very high. Mm. So standard email open rates are usually in the low double digits and we were getting 20 to 30%. That was proof positive yeah. that people were willing to listen to us and they would open up the email because they knew we had something to say. And the only reason why we did it was we wanted to generate more revenue. So we looked at the open rates and then we looked at the number of conversations that came out of that. And then ultimately the sales that were generated. And that's really what marketing is all about. It's, it, it's very, very crass to say, but the job of marketing is to sell more stuff and make more money. You can talk about, you know, engagement, you can talk about brand health and you can talk about awareness, be it aided or unaided, all that kind of stuff. You can talk about marketing automation in your funnel. Bottom line is marketing is designed to elevate yeah. a brand in, in the mind of a consumer or of a customer so that friction is removed so that when they go to the shelf or they go online or they pick up the phone or they turn on their TV, it's habit that leads them to basically take action. And once people do that, they're deemed to be loyal, which means you nurture them and you don't have to spend nearly as much money. Therefore, you are more profitable. That's marketing. So you mentioned um, getting data and, and finding the right people. And then you also mentioned renting lists uh, to mail stuff. Where have you seen kind of your company, what you guys do with the data correlate to, to offline mailings? So, okay. So the, just to clarify, we never rented email lists. We created our own email list. So when we, when we would engage people would say, Hey, do you mind if we just add you to our email trust? We, we don't send more than, you know, four to six a year. So they, we kind of set expectations. So um, back to your question. Uh, do you want, did you want me to expand on online and offline? Or what is the, the mailing? You mentioned that you can like, you know, you can go to Canada Post and rent a mail list. So what does that look like? Like, you know, when you get some sort of data set from your company and you can then send like a postcard to this audience that you know have been to like Sephora and yeah. Victoria's so, Secret. So the work that we do at our company is really end to end. I'll answer your question in two parts. The first is we have data on 18 and a half million Canadians um, for if you've got anyone from the US, it's about 220 million. And so 
we can understand people that are loyal Walmart shoppers or Loblaw shoppers or real Canadian superstore, or, you know, I'm trying to use some Western examples like Earl's or they go to Whistler um, regularly, whatever it looks like. Um, Again, that's all anonymized and we can understand the demographic profiles of those households. We have data on, you know, whether they live in homes or apartments and are they family members and what kind of vehicle do they drive? And that helps build a digital persona. We can then deliver ads to those people, both on their mobile phones, as well as on tablets and computers. To the extent that someone wanted to tie that to offline measurement, we have that capability as well. So one of our competencies is we can measure uh, whether or not someone was exposed to an out-of-home ad And then we can see whether or not that individual or that household then went to a particular location. So if someone drove by an ad for, let's say, a product at Lowe's or Home Depot or Canadian Tire, we can measure whether or not exposure to that out-of-home ad drove someone to a store. Again, the job of marketing is to sell more stuff and make more money. One of the biggest challenges that's plagued marketers for decades is, I know my marketing works, I just don't know which half. And so what we're able to do is measure real world or physical activity and then translate that into a business building metric. On the flyers, um, we've done work for some companies where they'll do flyer drops, either at the FSA level, which is the first three digits of the postal code and or the full postal code. And so we can take all of those regions and all of those pockets and then understand what were the activities of the households in those areas back to some real world KPI and then in reverse. So for example, if we wanted to measure people that had gone to the Calgary Stampede Mm -hmm. and then by way of a, let's say a brand that had sponsored that, they wanted to measure all the people from the Stampede that then subsequently went to their um, establishment, we could do that. Why would they care? Well, they wanna know whether or not sponsoring the Stampede is a good idea. Or let's say you did sampling at Whistler. Mm We could understand did people actually go to Liquor Depot or Wine and Beyond, or did they go to some other Western retailer? So the data unto itself is only part of it. It's really interesting. It's complex. It's rich. But taking that data and then be able to action and measure what your marketing um, tactics are doing, that's really where the one plus one equals three, because you can... You can do something on a piece of paper, but if you can't action it in the real world, it's just not that valuable. It becomes a PowerPoint deck that no one ever reads. But if you can say, geez, these are my most loyal customers, or these are my at-risk customers, or I want to go after switchers, the people that shop at my brand as well as the competitors, yeah. because I think that's where I'll be most successful. So if you, if you, um, you know, Darian, if you have your favorite coffee shop that you go seven days a week, it's probably not the best idea that if I own a coffee shop, I'm going to try to switch you over because you probably have a whole bunch of reasons. Maybe it's a family member that works there. Maybe they've got your favorite, you know, cookie or muffin or roast, whatever, who knows? Maybe could even be on the right side of the street. Yes. And so. Um, most brands right now are stuck with the following reality. They've got to either steal share, which is really, really expensive, or they have to cut costs. And certainly given all that's happened in the world over the last two and a half months, cutting costs is a reality. So if you think like a marketer 
and you're like, listen, my job is to sell more stuff, make more money and generate a profitable business. The first question I'm going to want to know is where should I spend my money and where should I cut my money? Where am I getting the best results? That's where we come in. So we can use uh, data, which is tied to probably the most important and the most personal device in your life, which is the phone. You know, if I asked you for your phone, you'd probably say why, or you'd probably say never because it's got your camera, your banking, your email, your contact list, all this really personal stuff. But when anonymized, it provides a rich picture into a lot of consumer trends and a lot of behaviors. Wow. So if I was a brand and, and whether I'm a charity or a brand trying to reach a certain kind of economic level of person, let's say I want to do a fundraising campaign or I have a high end yep. product we could go to your company and say, hey, we're like the most affluent Canadians yeah. who um, own pets. And, yeah. can you, and you could give me those postal codes and then I can go to Canada Post and kind of rent those postal codes essentially and send like a, a you know smart mail piece, addressed ad mail piece to those addresses. Yeah, you could. I think the two things that I would layer on that is you'd work with us to actually do digital delivery of ads and not just physical mailers, why? Because we could tell you if those households actually went to the charity's website or to the store's website and converted. So that's a reason Very why. True. So while I do the mailing piece, you on the back end. So, it's, so you're not just giving us data, which there's companies that do that. You're holding my offline campaigns, my out of home accountable to some degree. Yeah, we can measure your whole marketing mix. And then if you did choose to do a mailer with Canada Post, what you could do is you could tell us all of the um, postal codes that got drops yeah. and then we could measure the activity of those people back to some physical destination or even an online destination. That's incredible. So it's a marketing attribution to a very fine point. Correct. Yeah. Wow. So uh, what I need to ask, are, are people jumping at this? Are they aware that this exists? Because I think for so long, that I love that quote. It's like John Wanamaker, right? I, I know, I, you know, I just 50%, I don't know which, which 50% it is. So are you, are you seeing people starting to come to you now to say like, man, I'm tired of the waste. I'm tired of the, the throwing stuff to the wind. Yeah. I, 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 so the answer is yes. I think it's, it's worthwhile sort of, you know, um, diving in a little bit and sort of addressing the why. I mean, I think you eloquently said, you know, the first is people just want to know what's working. You use the word accountable. Yeah. People, people want to hold the medium yeah. or the media accountable, not yeah. so much the players and the people and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I just want to know what's working. Cause I think, you know, um, I've been doing this for quite some time and generally speaking, folks attitudes is listen, if it's working, I'll just keep spending because yeah. theoretically I'm making money. Yeah. And if it's not working, I just want to stop. So we believe that media should always function as research. If you're in the marketing seat, if you're running your business and you're guiding marketers or guiding businesses, your best foot forward is to say, listen, this is what we're going to do because we think this is the best thing to do. Mm -hmm. And at minimum, once we're done, we're going to learn something. That's the beautiful part about working with us and working with digital is that there's always breadcrumbs afterwards. Mm -hmm. There's always evidence so as to learn from it. If you um, do, and I think this is uh, one of the challenges of traditional um, media companies, although we work with a lot of them, is the measurement was always the difficult part. Yes, always. So, so first point as you said, they want to hold uh, their various channels accountable. The second is um, we generate insights. Mm 
And so the powerful part of it, that so back to the example that you had said, if you want to reach um, wealthy households with pets, well, we can layer on other um, variables and perhaps there's like a nugget that wasn't otherwise revealed. And again, Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of A-B testing. So whether you run, you know, DRTV or digital marketing or whether you run um, experiential, should always be running some form of an A-B test. So did this script work better than this script? Like are, you know, if you go canvassing down a road, is there a difference in, you know, who knows what, the script that you use one side of the street versus the other, that kind of stuff. So you should always be learning. The beauty of digital and the beauty of what we do is that you can always optimize. Yeah. So the, the, I think, you know, the reason why digital has become relevant is because you can adjust your creative on the fly, which we can mm-hmm. do for people. So whether it's, you know, a lottery client or gas prices, you can type into real time changes in information. So, you know, we'll run creative based on different time of day or day of week. We'll run creative based on different weather and patterns. So, so cool. All that kind of stuff. Why? Because if you're, if, if you do, let's say, um, uh, basement repairs after floods, yeah. you probably want to know these homes are on a floodplain and yeah. these areas got a lot of abnormal rainfall. We have all of that data. And so therefore, those are the folks that you want to target as opposed to just saying, listen, let's just speak to everyone in Western Canada and hope that some people sign up. So what we say to folks all the time is, you know, if let's say you're going out to spend $100,000, you know, we'll help you spend the same 100000 but get X percent better results. Or alternatively, go spend 80000 yeah. get the same results as you would have spent for 100000 And now you've got 20000 to go fund a pet project. You have 20000 to go kickstart that new initiative. You have 20000 to go, you know, spend on a underperforming business unit or product line and all of that. And that's that's really what good agencies and good partners do is they treat the money like their own and they are always working to see, hey, can I find some piece of information that makes me a bit smarter today than I was yesterday? And I think um, for those who are tuning in now or on demand, the bottom line is folks who are curious, who challenge the status quo, Mm -hmm. who realize that as long as I'm just a little bit better or smarter today versus yesterday, Mm -hmm. that's really what I think drives success for a lot of people. Brilliant. Uh, Where do you go, Ted, for like inspiration ideas? Like do you you have books you read, kind of podcasts? Do you have like an email subscription that you'd recommend? Yeah. um, Reddit maybe. um, So, uh, I mean, in preparation of uh, sort of our conversation, I broke it down to a couple things. So, Um, I am finding with the work from home structure, which is, I think, commonplace for a lot of people in Canada and around the world, um, I'm I'm making a conscious effort to read more and to learn more. I think it's both a coping mechanism as well as a little bit of added time uh, without having to commute. So I'd say my favorite books are um, on the sales side, The Challenger Sale. It's probably the single best sales book I've ever read. It's been ranked on multiple lists and it's all mm-hmm. about solution selling. Um, for those um, that are interested in building strong cultures, um, which I think is critical, um, I think you have to treat your employees as well as you treat your customers and no one should be subordinated. A book called The Culture Code is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it's all about building culture. 
Um, anything written by um, Adam Grant. So he has a podcast. He's written the book Originals. Um, he's got a phenomenal podcast called Work Life that I, I listen to whenever he releases stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's amazing. It's practical. I recently read the book Play Bigger, which is all about category design. And so the key idea there is be, be different, not just better. Mm-hmm. So brands that are ultimately different are those mm-hmm. that win. So, you know, think Apple and yeah. think other companies, even Southwest Airlines that truly deliver a differentiated experience. Those are my favorite books. The podcast I already touched on. So anything yeah. by Adam Grant. Um, Michael Lewis has a phenomenal one called, I believe it's Against the Rules mm-hmm. or Against All Odds or something yeah. like that. That's really fun. Um, uh, you had asked me about my favorite apps. So mm-hmm. I'd say um, probably LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we subscribe to the New York Times, mm-hmm. um, which is well worth it. I think in the times that we're living, I do think that folks should condition themselves to pay for content. Mm-hmm. So whatever market you're in, um, be it in Canada or elsewhere, you should find content that you should pay for because mm-hmm. I think journalism matters and content should be um, something that we all support. Um, I love my mobile banking app. <laughs> I love someone saying you owe me money and I could just sit there and send them. And then I do like Pocket, which is um, a little app that you can save articles. So it's just oh. a good way of if you stumble upon something, you just one click and it saves the article and it's synchronized with your desktop. Um, you'd asked a little bit about life hacks. Should yeah. we talk about that? Please. Um, so uh, we're, we're under slightly you know, different conditions, but yep. um, when I'm typically going to the office and working, I, I do wear a uniform. I wear the same clothes every day, yep. um, same colored button down, same pair of jeans. I have multiple versions for those that wonder whether or not I shower. <laughs> um, and I just love not thinking about my clothes. Um, I just downloaded something called Mindful Browsing. It's a little plug-in um, that prevents time wastage. Oh. So um, if you if you go it's a, if you go to let's say a site where typically you waste time, I spend too much time on LinkedIn. I spend too much time on my inbox. Yeah, you can basically set a list of things that you would rather be doing. So for example, if I go if I go to LinkedIn right now, it says, yeah. "Do you want to stay on LinkedIn?" You said you'd rather stretch. Wow. So, so I put in that I would rather stretch, spend time with my family, do ten phone calls. Yeah reduce my inbox by 10. So that's kind of a fun little one. Wow. And wait, what's that called again? Mindful browsing. And is it free or is that a free? Is it free? Yeah. Wow. Um, and then another thing that I've done historically is set up templated responses in Gmail. So yeah. if you're sending the same type of emails yeah. over and over again, there's a whole bunch of templated responses, which are great. Yeah. You know, just use um, a cloud storage link. So file attachments can get uh, put in right away. So stuff like that, even just putting stuff in your email footer, yeah. Um, you know, links to case studies that your company does or links to your company's social pages, just little things that are um, passive. Um, so they don't require synchronous, but rather asynchronous communication. So someone, if they're interested, can just grab information. Wow. And so those are just a couple hacks. Nothing great. As I, as I say repeatedly, all of my great ideas are stolen. I don't have any original ideas, yeah. but those are some of the things that I use um, to sort of stay a little bit more productive and more sort of intellectually stimulated. 
So, Jed, I feel like you um, have an incredible history and you've seen things and you've, you know, stood amongst giants and you, you've stood on their shoulders and you've seen kind of stuff emerge and fall and fail and, you know, collapse. What are you hoping for and what are you excited about for this next year? What are the trends that you're kind of like, man, I am following this and I'm excited about that? Um, so maybe we can break it down into like two areas. One yeah. is like trends and then the second is what I'm excited about. Yeah. So I think um, a couple trends that are interesting is, um, you know, clearly the future of work in terms mm -hmm. of people in place, I think is certainly a trend to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, my wife always says, you know, don't qualify your responses and don't criticize yourself before you say anything. I don't have a crystal ball. Yeah. So I think for anyone that's tuning in, take everything that I say with a grain of salt and ask your own questions. But the first is... I think people in place um, are going to change dramatically and that would impact work. Yeah. I think that'll impact shopping. I yeah. think that'll impact travel. I yeah. think it will impact dining out. Yeah. So all of that I think is bound to change. And then related to that, how we socialize. Um, I think um, um, e-commerce has already changed. Yeah. My take on this is slightly nuanced. Mm -hmm. um, I think e-commerce sucks, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I think it's really bad. So if you compare your experience of walking into a store mm -hmm. and browsing different sections yeah. and maybe putting stuff together, we, we spoke to friends yesterday, and this is an extreme example that may not totally prove the point, but our friend's daughter loves shopping at thrift stores. She's yeah. very artsy. Yeah. She loves unique T-shirts. She yeah. loves vintage. The, the experience, which is the thrill of the find, which would be for a, a brand like Winners or TJX, yeah. like what am I going to find? Yeah. For starters, those companies are never going to put all their product online because they would never pay. Yeah. Their turnover is different yeah. week in and week out. But the joy of discovering something, yeah. Yeah. I find, simply doesn't get replicated online. No. And so the browsing is very linear. Yeah. You know, you go to a store, you go into a section, you look at stuff. I also think it favors um, brands where consumers know about the category, know about the brands, know about the product, know about the pricing, they know how to use it, they know how to fit. So even though, and there was an amazing chart out of the U.S. over the last um, 10 weeks, we're recording this at the end of May 2020, in the last 10 weeks, e-commerce grew in the U.S. by the same amount that it grew in the last 10 years. Wow. So in the last 10 weeks, e-commerce doubled versus the previous 10 years. So amazing. Okay. We don't need to talk about that. But what's going to help it go 10x again over yeah. the next, or sorry, double yeah. over, the, over the next while? And I think it's going to have to change. It's going to have to be more fun. Yes. Like maybe, who knows, I'll be able to log in. Yeah. to a virtual showroom and yeah. some live person will be able to walk around the store. Maybe I'll be able to browse aisles yeah. without an Oculus Rift, but just yeah. from my desktop and I can yeah. go up and down the baking aisle and be inspired or yeah. go up and down the fruit aisle. So, I mean, listen, there are people a lot smarter than me who've accomplished a lot more and who are thinking about this, but I don't think we've seen what the next phase of e-commerce mm. looks like. I think the other thing is um, uh, healthcare and digital delivery of healthcare services mm. um, is going to change. 
Yeah. So I think um, out of sheer necessity, mm -hmm. um, we're doing a lot more over our computers. So um, my wife started a telemedicine program at the largest birthing hospital in Canada based here in Toronto five years ago. Wow. Um, she's been doing telemedicine for five years. Yeah. Um, I think um, using um, video and voice to screen and put less strain on our healthcare system yeah. It could even be ways for people to check in on their parents and grandparents. So obviously there's a lot of health policy to navigate. There's a lot of privacy. There's a lot of service delivery. But I think healthcare um, might help those in remote areas. Obviously we have to solve for socioeconomic issues. But I think healthcare, and I think the related piece to that, back to the first point around people in place, I think we're going to have to check in on people a lot more and we're going to have to figure out a better way of keeping tabs on mental health, um, mental hygiene, how people are doing, how they're feeling, yeah. because I think um, technology is great yeah. and I think digital is great, but I think we're human animals and I think we crave, you know, physical contact. Yeah. And I think we're going to have to monitor how digital impacts that over time. Hmm. I loved your piece too about your LinkedIn notification saying, "Hey, you'd you know you'd rather be stretching, being with family, you know, making some phone calls." I love that, Chad. That's really inspiring. That sounds like a, it sounds like an app everyone needs. It's almost like when Apple released the how much time are you spending on your phone. It's yeah. like this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's great, Jed. Any any last thoughts and uh, that you want to share with the listeners and viewers? No, I would just say, um, first off, thank you for having me. Uh, time is precious for everyone. So you've given me your time. And for those watching, they're giving us that time. So I'm grateful. Um, no, I think I would say probably a couple things. Um, be hopeful. Um, um, you know, uh, look for opportunities. I'd say um, challenge everything. Um, so not in a critical way, but in an optimistic way. So just ask yourself, is there a way that I can be doing this better? Mm. Um, is there a way that I can get closer to my customer? Is there a way that I can remove friction? And, um, you know, it's, it's a wonderful rallying cry. Um, I'm, no I'm listening to an unbelievable BBC podcast called 13 minutes to the moon. And it's all about the Apollo 11 um, landing and I recommend it for anyone and I'm not a space junkie and I'm not a sci-fi junkie. My wife is listening to it right now actually. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's mind blowing. Um, and, but what it, what it brings home is, um, a couple of really key lessons. Uh, John F. Kennedy in 1961 said that they would put a human being on the moon by the end of the decade. What that did was it set a really audacious goal that pushed people farther than they thought they could ever go. So that's one goal setting. Two, they were all lined around the goal. Yeah. They knew they had to get someone up into space, yeah. land on the moon, get off the moon and back down. And <laughs> everything was rallied around that. Yeah. And for those who either listening or have listened, there were moments of, you know, like death and despair. Yeah. Um, yeah previous Apollo mission in 1967, three people lost their lives because mm -hmm. a fire broke out. Um, so this is really serious stuff, but there were people that knew they had a task to support yeah. a team and everyone knew their role. And so what I would say is be hopeful, challenge yourself to think about things that you've never thought possible, 
um, you know, look for partners like EQ Works, look for partners like Darian that can help you better understand your business, better measure your marketing, um, and just make sure that every day you're a little bit smarter than you were yesterday. And um, tomorrow will be better than today. And that's, that's hopeful and that's exciting for all of us. And hopefully the next great company comes out of BC or it comes out, out of some other place in Canada. We can all say that someone picked up a little tidbit that helped them just be a little bit better. Awesome. And, and Jed, where can people find you online? How can they keep in touch? Uh, the easiest thing is LinkedIn. Uh, please don't send me a request. I'm inundated. Um, and just following me is good enough. Um, that's probably the best way. Or, you know, folks can follow EQ Works on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, okay. But again, there's lots of great people to follow. People should connect with you and follow you and, you know, follow Adam Grant and follow other people. And, you know, uh, there's no monopoly on good ideas. They come from a lot of different places and a lot of different people. Yeah, this is great. I, I love those three questions. I actually want to write those out and put them on my wall. Those are, I, I feel like every company and business should be thinking about that right now, especially in a very uh, disconnected time. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's great opportunity out there. We just have to work hard to find it. So. Yeah. That's awesome. How can I create that more intimacy with our, our customers? Mm-hmm. Well, Jed, this was a joy. Thank you so much for, for giving us time, coming on the show, sharing with this audience. Um, thank you everyone for joining us this week and we'll see you next week on the Marketing Jam. Thanks for listening to Marketing Jam. If you enjoyed the show, head over to our YouTube or Facebook and give us a thumbs up and visit iTunes to leave a rating and review. Thanks again and see you next time. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.